0: This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Supreme Court justices in a three-hour hearing on the sweeping Texas abortion ban this past Monday seemed inclined toward allowing abortion providers to legally challenge the law. Currently, there's an effective abortion ban in Texas and it's not clear if the justices will allow abortions to resume while lower courts consider any forthcoming challenges. The nation's highest court in a midnight decision two months ago had refused to block the ban, leading anti-abortion activists to declare a major victory. On Monday, outside the court hearing, hundreds of pro-abortion activists gathered to make their voices heard.
1: I want to make sure that they know that we're here. So let's, let's give it a chant one more time. When I say bands off, you say our bodies. Bands off? Our bodies! Bands off? Our bodies!
2: Our bodies! Off,
0: our bodies! Here is Justice Elena Kagan on Monday questioning the logic of the Texas abortion ban.
2: Court is going to stand by its General orders. Stone, I think what Justice Breyer is suggesting is that the entire point of this law, its purpose and its effect, is to find the chink in the armor of ex parte young. That ex parte young set out a basic principle of how our government is supposed to work and how people can seek review of unconstitutional state laws. And the fact that after all these many years, some geniuses came up with a way to evade the commands of that decision as well as the command that the, broader, even, the even broader principle that states are not to nullify federal constitutional rights and to say, oh, we've never seen this before, so we can't do anything about it, um, I, I guess I just don't understand the argument.
0: That's Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan on Monday. After the hearing, lead attorney Mark Heron, who represented abortion providers, addressed reporters outside. I think you heard today the state of Texas admit that if Texas can do this with the right to abortion, then with Brown versus the Board of Education, a state could have gotten around the Supreme Court's decision in Brown by allowing anyone to sue for $10,000 or more someone who is integrating a school and that the federal courts would have been completely powerless to do anything about that. That is completely antithetical to everything uh, in our constitutional republic and uh, we're hopeful that the court will will, uh, recognize that and agree. That's lead attorney Mark Heron speaking to reporters after the Supreme Court hearing on the Texas abortion ban. We turn now to Jessica Mason Piqu, executive editor of Rewire News Group and co-host of their podcast, Boom Lawyered. She's also a writer and an adjunct law professor in Boulder, Colorado. Welcome to the program, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, this abortion ban was already, as I'd mentioned, tackled by the Supreme Court a couple of months ago when they decided to allow it to take effect. So what exactly happened on Monday? Can you explain why it was that the Supreme Court had these, this uh, hearing, this three-hour hearing on Monday?
1: Sure. So as you said, the Supreme Court had already taken one look, a real quick sort of passing glance at Texas's abortion ban um, at the end of August and beginning of September when they let the uh, law take effect. And what happened after that is that uh, two very important things. One, As a result of the law taking effect, providers and other folks in the abortion access pipeline were able to go back to the Supreme Court and say effectively, look, what you said is the law needed to be in effect for a little bit to see if there was any negative impact from it. The law has now been in effect we're seeing an immediate negative impact. And so we're asking you to expedite a review of it and allow our case to continue. So that was one aspect of what happened on Monday. And in between September 1st, when SBA took effect and Monday, another really important thing happened. And that's the Biden administration stepped in and on its own filed a lawsuit on behalf of uh, the federal government to defend the constitutional rights of abortion patients and providers in the state of Texas and to argue effectively that what the state of Texas was trying to do in this enforcement mechanism in SB8 was to create a scheme to deprive their citizens of constitutional rights, and that's against the law. And so the Supreme Court heard arguments on Monday as to whether or not those two lawsuits can proceed. And that's really important because what they didn't do was, get to the heart of the Texas ban, which would ban abortion at about six weeks. These were effectively preliminary matters that the court was looking at, but they do have substantive effect. So the
0: headlines seem optimistic that we are hearing that the Supreme Court justices seem inclined or a majority seems inclined to allow challenges. Um, how did um, you know, the headline writers come to that conclusion? What was said and by whom?
1: Yeah, uh, so both justices, Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, expressed their own individual skepticism about the enforcement mechanism of SB-8. And so just to remind folks what that is, that is the part of the Texas abortion ban that doesn't empower state officials to to enforce it. It empowers private citizens. And both uh, Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh had their own concerns about that. Do I think that that means that they would be overall uh, concerned with Texas trying to ban abortion at 6 weeks? No, I don't. So I I just I feel like these 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 are one of those moments where Um, conservative justices will show a little bit of fidelity just to the rule of law and we fall all over ourselves to try and suggest that that's moderation. That's not moderation at all. Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh remain no friend to abortion rights. What this is a signal of is just how extreme and how outside the norm this Texas law is.
0: What about um, Justice Elena Kagan's line of questioning? How did she try to get
1: to the heart of how problematic this law is? The one thing about SB 8 that I think is so important to drive home is that it was really designed to be a mechanism to deprive the courts of the ability to check (laughs) legislatures, so really just insulate Texas lawmakers From judicial review at all. And this is really problematic. And Elena. Kagan really honed in on this. Because people deserve a remedy. And that was her point. And you can't effectively create a thought exercise that deprives people of constitutional rights and just pat yourself on the back and say, wow, we're really clever. Look at us when there are real lives, real consequences, real rights on the line. And I think she really did this effectively in pushing back against the Texas uh, Solicitor General, who said, if there is a solution to the mess that Texas created, it's up to Congress to create it. And that's not true. The right to abortion is a fundamental right. And when we have fundamental rights, we don't have to go to Congress to ask and beg them to be respected. That's the idea of them being fundamental. And that's really what Elena Kagan drove home in her line of questioning yesterday.
0: So when we see this unique method of trying to ban abortion, which is um, empowering you know, anybody not even necessarily living in Texas to sue abortion providers, Uh, that fear that you could then use this bizarre enforcement mechanism for other
1: rights might be what ends up undoing this ban? I mean, it really might be. It might be that conservatives were the dog that caught the car on this enforcement mechanism. Um, There was a gun rights group that filed an amicus brief and that expressed real concerns about the enforcement mechanism and said, for example, what would happen if lawmakers in the state of Vermont banned the possession of firearms outright, just tried to outright ban possession of a firearm. And instead of empowering themselves to defend that ban, like is the normal constitutional course, offshored that to third parties as well. That was something that was very distressing to Justice Kavanaugh, but it's a real and legitimate concern because if we are deputizing citizens to enforce constitutional rights, what's to stop lawmakers at abortion? They can absolutely go after contraception, they can absolutely go after marriage equality, they can absolutely go after voting rights, and these are the points that I think progressives really need to drive home that they will not stop with abortion on this.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So at this point, uh, you mentioned that abortion providers were able to show that they are suffering harm. Effectively, abortion is banned in Texas. I mean, a pregnant Mm -hmm. person needing an abortion would have to find the resources, the means, the time to 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 go out of state. Mm hmm.
1: So Holman's Health in Texas is reporting that they are providing abortions up to the six-week mark in Texas. Um, That is so early in pregnancy. So you're right. Texas has effectively banned abortion by enacting this, um, despite the fact that six weeks is well before the line of fetal viability, and therefore it is an unconstitutional abortion ban that has been allowed to take effect. It's a soft reversal of Roe right now.
0: And so, I mean, Texas is a big state um there is um a fear that this could deeply Mm -hmm. impact people's lives in poland where an abortion ban has been the focus of mass protests there was a Mm -hmm. woman who recently died of sepsis because she had a problem with her fetus apparently there was an amniotic fluid issue but because of the abortion
1: ban doctors couldn't perform an abortion and she
0: died. We could see this Mm -hmm. in Texas potentially.
1: We're already seeing this in Texas. You know, there were reports in uh, the Washington Post and the Lily of a patient um, in Texas who drove to New Mexico to deal with an ectopic pregnancy, not covered in the Texas ban, by the way, but doctors and hospitals are so uncertain as to their liability and the potential damages are so great for folks who violate this ban that they're just not. In fact, over at Rewriter News Group, we had a panel uh, with some providers from Texas and one of them was explaining how hospitals are kind of writing their own rules now as a result of SB8 being in effect because they don't know what to do when a patient appears in a miscarriage. So this isn't just banning abortion, this is impacting the delivery of um, obstetric and gynecological care across the state of Texas and in the region. I live in Colorado and we have seen an uptick of over 500% in our clinics here of patients needing to access care. And that presumes that no other bans are allowed to take effect. Wow. I mean, you mentioned ectopic pregnancy.
0: This is basically where a fertilized egg implants in say the fallopian tube instead Mm -hmm. of the uterus it is never going to be a viable pregnancy and i know this about an ectopic pregnancy because i've had one Mm. and had to be rushed to the hospital many years ago and had my doctors hesitated in rushing me into surgery as I was internally hemorrhaging, I might not be here today. I mean, this is this is really yeah. terrifying. It is
1: it is that scary. And it is absolutely. I mean, I'm so glad and so sorry that that was your experience. I'm so glad you came out of it because absolutely, those are moments of medical emergency. And what it, providers are in a position now are of, of having to hesitate, having to make those guesses around things that have nothing to do with abortion aside from the fact that it's all tied up to a pregnancy
0: a fertilized egg, a, a collection of cells mm-hmm. is being seen as more precious than the life of an actual living, breathing human being who mm-hmm. might then go on to actually have living children if they choose to. Uh, I mean. so, so Jessica, what's the next step with the Supreme Court now? This hearing took place on Monday. There was some potential mm-hmm. promising signs, not necessarily pro-abortion, access to abortion mm-hmm. signs, but at least they're troubled by the me- enforcement mechanism of the law, what would happen next?
1: Right. So so what happens next is we wait. We wait for the Supreme Court to issue its decision in this case. And unlike other cases at the Supreme Court that I've been on to talk about uh, here involving abortion at the court, there's a really good opportunity that we will get a decision soon in this case. And that's in part because the procedural posture is different than uh, the normal Supreme Court case. Like I said, this is effectively a first look. (laughs) for folks um so we could have a decision as early as the end of this week beginning of this week in theory but until then we have to deal with the fact that SB8 remains in effect and every day that SB8 remains in effect people's rights are functionally eviscerated, Roe remains on soft reversal, and the impact and pressure on neighboring states and neighboring providers is so great. Um, This is not, we do not have a solution to this. And so no matter how the court rules in the Texas case, we know that access will remain a problem. And we also know that we have a substantive and direct challenge to Roe versus Wade that the Supreme Court is going to hear in just a month. I see. So that is
0: uh, another layer to all of this. Meanwhile, um, we saw on October 22nd, the Biden administration Mm -hmm. put out what it called a national strategy on gender equity and equality, where it um, specifically mentioned the right to safe and legal abortion established in Roe v. Wade, et cetera, that it would be important to defend that constitutional right. But over and over again, um, and I think you and I, I'm sure have talked about this before, We rely on this precedent, the Supreme Court precedent that's been chipped Mm -hmm. away at that can be overturned at any time, instead of Congress doing its job and legislating Mm -hmm.
1: the right to an abortion, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is absolutely maddening that we continue to have this conversation. And the courts are not going to be a pathway to liberation on um, reproductive justice issues at all, um, particularly given the conservative, just hard conservative bent of the federal judiciary in particular. Um, And it is well past time for progressives and Democrats in Congress to understand that access to abortion care is just one component of a robust public health platform. And I think these conversations that we've had today about these other examples, the way that SB8 is impacting OBGYN care across the board, these are the pressure points that we need to push progressives on because, yes, we need the Women's Health Protection Act, but even the Women's Health Protection Act is not going to be enough when what we see what lawmakers are doing in the ways that they're machinating as many restrictions as they can. And, and I think folks need to really understand just how dire this moment is. Uh, Are you hopeful that the
0: right may back off? You know, you mentioned the gun rights organization that filed the amicus brief because they're worried about their right to... Um, mm-hmm. c- to carry guns and and in many um, w- when the Texas abortion ban when the Supreme Court refused to take action against the ban two months ago many right wing uh, anti-abortion groups were caught off guard almost stunned by their own success they didn't mm-hmm. quite expect it they've just been in offense mode for so long because that's and especially politicians that's their you know that's their f- uh, campaign approach their fundraising mm-hmm. approach they try to get votes. To, you know, by showing that they are attacking the right to an abortion, and now here they are, where all our constitutional rights are potentially up for grabs if this law is allowed to stand because of this bizarre third-party enforcement mechanism.
1: Yeah, uh, this is a real moment for the anti-choice movement because there is a fracturing. Look, there's a there is a part of the anti-choice movement that will never be satisfied reversal of roe versus wade will not be enough what they are looking for is enshrinement of fetal personhood they want to rewrite the 14th amendment and they don't even they're not even shy about it anymore they're actually saying this if you go to you know the catholic advocacy pages if you go to listen to lila rose uh, of live action news they are talking about the 14th amendment in fetal personhood as a very real thing that they are going for and I think that there are folks who don't believe them still. And I think that there are folks who also don't think that the Supreme Court would go that far. And I really just want to urge folks to understand that the time for being incredulous about how far the right is willing to go is over. They see their moment and they're going to go for it. Now, whether or not others in the conservative movement are, are uncomfortable by that, they are the ones who are going to be able to check this, not anybody on the left, not anybody on in progressive spaces, because as far as the anti-choice movement is concerned, reversing Roe is one step into enshrining fetal personhood. Jessica,
0: are you heartened by the fact that more and more people are coming forward to talk about the fact that they've had abortions? Um, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, um, your progressive hero, Mm -hmm. also recently revealed in public that she had had an abortion. Um, And more and more people are coming forward to say, this is something that I've been through, and I expect the people that come after me to
1: have the access to the same right that I did i think it's so important the role of sharing abortion stories um and putting them out there in part because the right has been so successful in attacking reproductive uh, rights and access as a result of abortion sig- stigma as a result of being of po- folks feeling ashamed feeling uncomfortable and feeling of course unsafe. hollywood has fed
0: into that they want to pr- exactly you know, they want to paint every decision by a person having an abortion as some
1: painful precisely horrendous, as fraud.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah which of course Absolutely. it can be for some people, but isn't right. for others. But it's
1: it, but it you know we're, it's a robust conversation. I mean, we we make decisions in our daily lives and about our paths, and you know, hopefully have the tools and the resources available to us to make the most informed, best decisions, whatever those are for us. And that is the nature of reproductive choice: is that ability to make those decisions. And so, when lawmakers, for example, share those stories, I think it's so important because it normalizes it. It really also drives home how fundamental <laughs> fundamentally skewed representation in Congress remains. I really do believe that if more women, particularly BIPOC women and non-binary folks, everybody else was more represented in Congress and in our state legislatures, this would not be an issue. Just look at what happened with the paid leave debacle in the Senate, for example. All of this is part of the same conversation. So yes, it's very important. At the same time, it is frustrating that women women of color in particular, have to constantly share their trauma to try and humanize things that have happened in their life to get predominantly white male lawmakers to care about these issues. I'm starting to get tired of that. Right. Representative Corey Bush was
0: also one of uh, one who came forward with her Mm -hmm. uh, abortion story. Um, Well, Jessica, thank you as always for joining us. Where is, uh, give out a website for where people can not only read your writing, but listen to your podcast with Imani Gandhi.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, please go over to rewirenewsgroup.com. We have been on The Texas Story. We are covering Dobbs versus JWU, which is the Mississippi 15-week ban that will be at the Supreme Court in just a month. Um, and that's where you can find our podcast, Boom Lawyered. And I also started a newsletter related to all of this called The Fallout that it, you can go to Rewire News Group and sign up there. And that's a weekly newsletter that's functionally a column by me that connects all of the dots and explains what's going on, a deep dive into abortion politics, rights, and access in the country right now.
0: Wonderful. Well, we'll post a link to that uh, Thank from you. our website. Jessica, thanks as always for joining us. Thanks so much for
1: having me. Always a pleasure. My
0: guest has been Jessica Mason-Piclo, executive editor of Rewire News Group, co-host of their podcast, Boom Lawyered. She's also a writer and adjunct law professor in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with